Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and Dan Read the Paper on Sunday, December 20th. Well, by gosh, we're here. Christmas is Friday. Yeah, we got plenty of time. Plenty of time. Plenty of time to finally get some gifts. It's uh, several days from now. Uh, you're a riot. I'm telling you. You, you, you do zero Christmas shopping. Mm, mm. I've been out on the, on the internet. But we, uh, we did some live shopping yesterday. Which is uh, interesting. Throwback Christmas. We went to uh, Peddler's Village. Peddler's Village, which is uh, kind of what it sounds. Sort of a collection of stores. What town is that in? Lahaska. Lahaska, of course. In Pennsylvania. And they do a very nice Christmas display. They have all these kinds of crazy lights and crazy displays. We've talked about the lights before. Right. But here's what's interesting. In the time of COVID, uh, there were a ton of people there. A ton of people there. But they were all wearing masks. They're all wearing masks. I'm not putting and it down. The, but I'm were, just saying, I yeah. was surprised. I haven't seen a gathering of people like that. We for haven't months. been around people at all. Exactly. Uh, so uh, it was fun to see people. Everybody's being very respectful. Yeah. It, it was totally outside. It was sub zero temperatures. Right. To be honest. But and, you, you uh, duck in the stores and you warm up, and uh, they sell hot chocolate and things like that. Well, and, they had they had actually booths set outside. Right. Selling uh, spiked. Hot chocolate. Uh, of course, and you spiked hot cider. I know you zeroed in on that stuff, but not everything was alcoholic, and there were a lot of little kids around. Yeah, but people were, you know, moving about. Mm-hmm. They weren't standing and shouting at each other in a risky sort of way. No, no. And uh, the retail people seemed to be doing a good business. Yeah, we went into one store which, which was reasonably crowded, and we heard about other stores where there were lined up folks because they didn't want to exceed uh, maximums. We skipped, by the way, the gingerbread house competition, which we normally go to. We can go back. No, I think they were doing that a different way. Oh, were they? It wasn't inside? Yeah, because they realized that was in a small space. Yeah, I would have thought. it has a big demand. People want to see those gingerbread houses. So um, I I know I read somewhere how they were doing it this year. And there were signs up, you know, go this way. But I I don't remember what I don't mind missing it, honestly. But uh, we had a fun time. It was nice to be out in... About yeah. with people, yeah. and there was holiday music being pumped out on mm. the loudspeakers, right. and as we said, an abundance of Christmas lights right. and a lot of Christmas cheer. So uh, that was fun. It was all outside, as I said. You know, people were uh, you know respectful. So um, you know, speaking of Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, this week I made a new cookie. Yeah. Well, we, we is that have, really a new have, cookie? Yeah, okay. I've never made it before. Really? Yeah, no. We have cookies that have been handed down from my right. grandmother and to my mother. So, what was the new cookie me. called? I'm afraid to ask. Well, that. I I went uh, actually. I don't ever read Christmas cookie recipes. Really? Because I say, you know, you stick with what you know. Really? Yeah. You make the traditional cookies. That's my. You only philosophy. make them once a year, mm-hmm. so that's what you make. Exactly. You know, that's what I do. And. Uh, and what, I did, this year you, uh, for some reason, I clicked on the New York Times you jumped off the way 28 Best New but Cookie Recipes. But you didn't recipes. make 28, you made one. And it was called... Well, here's the surprise. Yes. I was interested in many of oh, the cookies. Well, I have a lot to look forward to. I because think. usually yeah. I say, eh, done it. Eh, eh mm, not too interesting. Oh, too much work. But this was exciting? Um, this uh, had a very compelling write-up mm. saying the um, person who... Uh, reviewed it or whatever said uh, when she uh, first saw this recipe she wasn't even going to try it it sounded dull 
Okay. Would you please tell everyone what recipe we're talking about? It's, I don't know. It's called Grammy's uh, Spice Cookie Recipe. Spice Cookie. Yeah. Okay. With uh, vanilla buttercream icing. Right. And, uh, you know, she said, but it called for an extraordinary amount of cloves. Ground cloves. Yeah. Okay. So that intrigued her. So she gave it a shot. And, uh, you know, as luck would have it, I have way too much ground cloves around. <laughs> Who doesn't? So, but she said she made this cookie. It was the most popular one. Really? Among adults. It must be married to And it had an icing, the vanilla yeah. buttercream really? icing. Yeah, and? Had a little bit of Irish whiskey in it. Oh! Now, I am also not a believer in icing on cookies. Hmm. I say it's gilding the lily, so is it not? It's more and more complicated, yeah. And, uh, as a matter of fact... The icing gives it a little je ne sais quoi. Yeah, a little zing there. Yeah. I didn't have Ooh, enough just, Irish whiskey. Right. Again, who I'd does? Run out who of has Irish it? whiskey. Who hasn't? I had to throw in bourbon. <laughs> but it did the trick. But you were saying that... So the, every once in a while, you got to try something new. So what are you making next? I'm making the old Ah, Tams, you're on a roll. This is... Uh, no, 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 no. Express uh, yourself. No, no, no. My uh, family has been making... Uh, you know, the almond crescent cookies. Listen, I and just... And Aunt Mame's gingerbread cookies for... I'm willing... I just want, 80 years, at least. I so. want you to know, I'm willing to go along with whatever cookies you make. I'm, right. I'm on board. No, I'll, no. I'll go with the new cookies. Well, the new cookies are, you know, once in a while. You, I will make the Grammy Spice cookies again, though. Uh, those were tasty. And, it's you know, bad. spices cure everything, right? Yeah. It's too bad people anyway, can't see the Christmas tree So the tree New York earrings. Times yeah. is pumping out all these things you should make for Christmas. Right. Uh, and one of them is a trifle. And here's how the um, article starts. This is yeah. by Melissa Clark. Uh, of all the British puddings with their whimsical names, yeah. the roly-poly, the spotted dick, mm. the whim-wham, mm. and the eaten mess, none <laughs> is as popular on this side of the pond as a custardy boozy cream topped trifle boozy boozy and uh you know i'm not going to make this okay <laughs> the reason is the reason is yeah when, when i had the cranberry food sampler business you made it we made a lot of way trifle. too many trifles and we and i used every to eat christmas tri- we, i making the trifle we took a lot of trifle home the trifle Making the trifle. I like Making it. the Bouche Noel. I also don't make a Bouche Noel because I've made too many in I my lifetime. I don't remember the Bouche Noel so much, but I remember the trifle. Well, we sold them all. Oh. I had to bring them home. I'm not making anything extra to bring home. If I could sell them, I sell them. Well, the trifle obviously didn't sell out because I got quite a bit of trifle at home. I don't know where you got it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you think you, you sold the that trifles out? trifles didn't sell out? Um, anyway, so trifle is just, uh, you know, it's... All of these pudding recipes for the British, you just throw a bunch of stuff together, yeah. and it's all delicious yeah. and creamy yeah. and uh, Sounds often awful. boozy, Sounds awful. and it's delicious. What's wrong with these What's people? What's wrong? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they do this stuff? Um, and so the uh, the recipe tells you you got to have uh, you have cake and uh, or lady fingers, mm. also <laughs> called boudoir biscuits. Mm. Okay, I'm, I'm just. I'm going to run down to the giant food and ask for boudoir boudoir biscuits, okay? Um, Anyway, you you lather on the liquor on the on the cake or the you know you're supposed to use like leftover cake, right? Mm. And um, uh, pour the um, liquor on that, Mm. and then you layer on some custard. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Now, in here, they say um, the one thing you have to do, the cake does not have to be made from scratch, Whew. says Melissa Clark. That's a huge relief. The custard should be. Yes, you would think. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can't make a powdered custard? No. Well, I didn't even know you could do that. We, we, whoever taught us to make trifle, and I don't even remember. This is many, many years ago. They used bird's custard. Okay. It's an instant sort of, It's not super instant. You, you, were, you were professional. You, know, you mix in milk. Yeah, you mix in milk yeah. and um, you cook it like yeah. Jello. Yeah, I know, but not this, so instant. This pudding. wasn't for home baking. This you were making it for. Uh, well, bird's custard is a very classic. British I understand thing. that, but all I'm saying is, you know what's should, great about it? No, it has no eggs. Okay. Okay. But, but people should understand. But you, people love it. People hold, love it more hold, than real custard. Hold, hold it. You were cooking for, a, you had a food business. You were making it in volume. Okay. So it's a little different approach than one that you used to make trifle. Mostly we made things totally from scratch. Okay. Okay. All we right. did not use too many convenience products. Right. But Bird's Custard, I thought this is how British people make custard. You probably got to do it right. Mm. Okay. So, and so you just you slather on, you got the cake, you got the liquor, you got jam. Or fruit, which yeah. is jam. No, uh, and you got custard, you got whipped cream. Can I have one question? You do layers of this. No, yeah. oil, no oil of cloves? No oil of cloves in this? And there wasn't any oil of cloves in the cookies, Daniel. Mm-hmm. It was ground cloves. Oh, okay. okay. All, right. All right. Fine. Got it. Got it. So no uh, cloves, though. Yeah. All right. You know. Um, so anyway, so that, you know, it just abused me and brought back many memories to see a recipe for trifle. All right. Good. Who yeah. needs a recipe anyway? Make some trifle. I'm all for that too. I'm just constantly pushing you to make more stuff like this. Any uh, you know, any chance I get. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you 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 do not eat trifle. Oh, yeah, I do. Are you kidding me? I, I do. You're Mr. My, you know, body is a temple. I, 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 I believe know? me. For no you, salt on the cashews. For you, I'll eat the trifle. Oh, right, right, right. You know. You don't even buy Christmas presents. Mr. That's a whole, a whole different subject. Um, anyway, um, so there was an article this week in the Wall Street Journal. I guess there's one of these every year. Did we talk about this last year? It seems like we did. By Regina Hansen. What a party pooper. Her article is entitled, The Darker Side of Christmas. In many times and places, the joyful holiday has been a time for melancholy reflection and ghostly visitations. Hmm. Okay, so that's what I found funny. Um, and, and of course, uh, <laughs> I am, um, well, I'm still reading. I decided to read Judith Flanders, uh, yeah. you know, Christmas history, right? whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And um, it's rough sledding. Yeah, it's disappointing, you told me. Well, it's not, well, it, it's, you know, it's very historical, yeah. you know, and it's a little dry yeah. and it's a little more detail than you really need. And it's a very short book. So I guess that's why there's so much detail, because otherwise it would be a five page pamphlet. Yeah. And the deal is that, um, you know, Christmas has a fraught history. And uh, as uh, Ms. Hansen says in her article, OK, um you know, we get part of the darkness of Christmas comes from the season when we have it, which it is the shortest days of the year here in our hemisphere. And uh, they're very um, dark days and it's kind of depressing and it's cold and you, 
you know, you feel like spring will never come. So that's why people started, you know, all those pagans were having all the holiday fun, okay? Trying to cheer themselves on, saying spring will come, spring will come, spring will come. So it, it goes way back as a pagan celebration, mm-hmm. okay? Um, Christian, not so much. New Testament never says when Jesus was born, what time of year, okay? It does not mention winter at all. And it seems kind of highly unlikely that uh, it would have been at that time. Uh, But, uh, in fact, the date of Christmas wasn't adopted till 325 A.D., okay? Mm -hmm. All right? Yeah. And it was adopted partly because, well... People are used to celebrating, doing something. People are going crazy at this time of year. Let's attach it to something more noble. Now, many people did not think that was a good idea. And in fact, uh, you know, quite a few Protestants thought uh, celebrating Christmas was, uh, you know, just um, um, unchristian. Mm-hmm and uh, rebelled against it and resisted it. So there's a lot of that whole history. But um, this article is not so much about that, but that um, in many places, Christmas Eve, you know, in the 19th century, when Christmas had been around for a long time, Christmas Eve was a time for ghost stories. Mm -hmm. In fact, even our buddy Charles Dickens, all right, he wrote the Christmas Carol, which has ghosts in it, right? Right. But he wrote other ghost Christmas stories, including The Signal Man, all right, in which a railway worker receives spectral warnings of impending accidents, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not uh, completely unusual to be, uh, you know, thinking about ghosts at this time of year. Also, and I think we've talked about this before, in many European countries, not only did they have Père Noël, who was running around giving gifts, they had other kinds of characters running around punishing the bad children. Uh, In France, he was called Père Fou et Tard, Father Whipper who is said to beat badly behaved children with a whip. On Christmas Eve in South Africa, homes may be haunted by Danny, a boy who was beaten to death by his grandmother for eating the cookies left out for Santa. Wow. And my favorite story, Italy's La Bifana, um, is just, as uh, Miss Hansen says, more sad than scary. When the Christ child was born, she was invited by the three wise men, the Magi, to go see him. And she said, not now. I'm busy. I've got cleaning to do. Hmm. All right. And uh, she regretted her decision and has been wandering around looking for the Christ child, for the Magi ever since. On the Feast of the Epiphany, um she uh, leaves little gifts for children wherever she stops looking for the baby infant Jesus. So that was just some fun uh, Christmas stories, you know, on the sort of sadder, dark side. All right. But we've let go of that. It's purely it is secu- it is. secular yeah. holiday. Well, what is, yeah, yeah. It, it, it has its own, um, it's its it's own just, thing. It has a clear identity. We're trying to keep it happy. Yeah. Right. And uh, it was happy at Peddler's Villas. Believe me, people were beside themselves with joy just to be out, just to see other people, just to have their kids be able to run around and see the lights. 
uh, a lot of excitement. Yeah, all the clerks I, I interacted with were delighted well, to see you me. Well, you were, uh, how shall we say, what's the phrase you use? Stimulating the economy. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There's no question about that. Speaking of which, there was an article in the Times about uh, Bed, Bath, and Beyond's uh, famous Big Blue Coupon, as or as otherwise as it's known, Best Deal Ever, and I have to say this is all new to me. But I think it's a little less new, new to you. you. You never shop. That's true, okay. but I do get mail. Have you ever even been in a Bed Bath and Beyond? Uh, uh, no. Okay, but I do get mail. Perfect guy to report on this. Well, here's that's why I'm reading this wide-eyed. Apparently, and I say apparently, and you're laughing because everybody knows this: that uh, Bed Bath and Beyond sends out, or has traditionally sent out, a mailer, uh, a large postcard, which says twenty percent off on anything you like from Bed, Bath & Beyond. It's an oversized mailer known as Big Blue. And they've been doing it uh, for years and years and years. And it turns out it has become uh, a thing. Uh, Such a thing that, for example, when the FBI finally uh, subdued the mobster Whitey Bolter, Whitey Bolter was the mobster at the center of The the Departed, the uh, Jack Nicholson figure in the uh, Martin Scorsese movie. He's, He's a mobster. Uh, they looked through his drawers to look for evidence. What did they find? Big blue coupons from Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, they say there's probably one or two clipped to your car's visor. There could be a pile in the lobby of your building right at this moment. God knows your mother-in-law has a folder full of them. Well, maybe your mother has a folder full of them. I don't know. But uh, apparently, uh, this was a genius promotion that uh, the... Folks who put together Bed Bath & Beyond, the actual founders came up with, they didn't have any kind of advertising budget to speak of. They didn't want to invest in a catalog. They didn't do anything fancy at all. They had this one idea. Let's send out a coupon and let people spend it on whatever they want. 10%, they figured, wouldn't make an impression. 30%, we'd lose too much money. But 20%, people will save it. And save it, they did. So much so that uh, they're turned out to, they have all kinds of stories about people worrying about using the coupon before it expires. Uh, There's a nice story about a woman going into labor at a Bed Bath & Beyond who said, don't take me to the hospital, my coupon expires midnight tonight. I have to finish my, they said, no, we'll honor it anyway. In fact, it turns out they would honor the coupons when they were expired as a matter of course. They pretty much, if you walk up and they say, where's your coupon? You say, I don't have one. They find one for you. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And uh, but you don't ever go there without without the coupon twenty percent off. As a matter of fact, it, it, some people do regard them as valuable. They said people used to set up uh, sort of little temporary storefronts in front of Bed Bath and Beyond stores, selling coupons for five or eight dollars a piece. That's or something. just mean. It is mean, and they would they would shoot them away. So uh, the the logic behind it, they knew it would cut into their profit margins. But the idea is to get people in the store. It doesn't cut in their profit Oh, oh no, it does. Margin. It does. Oh, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. According Daniel, to these people. They just set the prices so no, everybody no, no, can get no, their 20 no, oh, no, please, no, no. please, please, please. Well, even if they did, it cuts in their profit margin, but it gets, even if they don't make up a profit on that item, it gets people in the store and they see what other they things they have. they buy 19 other things That's they can't That's exactly right. That's yeah. the logic. Well, in any event, it was a brilliant strategy. Bed Bath Beyond grew to a zillion stores. Now they're on the other side of the curve. They're not doing so well. And this strategy also has seen its You know course. why they're not doing so well? Why is that? Because they have mostly crap. That could be. But the, what they say in the article is that they're not doing so well because they didn't adapt to internet sales. They, don't have, they didn't invest in their website. And this whole promotion 
which they relied on uh, tremendously, doesn't work anymore. Because whereas before they would say to folks, uh, you know, we're cheaper than a lot of people, but a lot of people would meet their deals. Then it was, we have the greatest selection ever. Well, it turns out Amazon has a greater selection. <laughs> so then they're saying, well, we have the best customer service and customer service apparently doesn't pay the rent. So, uh, you know, it's just, there's no room for them anymore. There's no thing. Uh, they need people in the stores. They can't compete with the online. And this is kind of too old fashioned. So they're kind of winding it down. All right. Well, I'm glad you uh, got introduced Best to the concept deal. of uh, coupons. Yeah. Um, I'm now, on to it now. Another business that is having its moment yes. because of uh, the pandemic yeah. is uh, a nice little business in the Bronx called Plexi Craft Quality Products. And for almost 60 years, they have been turning out chic, mod-looking Coffee tables, chairs, even tissue boxes made with crystal clear acrylic resin, which you might also call lucite or plexiglass. You know what I wouldn't call it? I wouldn't call it chic. How's that? It was chic. It It was chic chic years ago. A few moments. You know, and every once in a while you'll see, you know, a new cool room in some uh, shelter magazine that's uh, got plexiglass, this or that. But uh, anyway. They've been, you know, limping along. Yeah. And uh, when the coronavirus struck in March, closed down temporarily. But uh, something happened. Um, All kinds of businesses started contacting them Mm -hmm. wanting plexiglass shields. Now, you can get them online. You know, the barriers that are at uh, all the stores now and at the bank between you and the teller, mm-hmm. etc. You can get those online very inexpensively, right. but they're not the most fabulous. You no? Know? No. Why not? Um, because they um, only come in standard sizes. Maybe they're not made the best quality, so they yellow, they bubble, they break easily. You know. So if you're looking, if you're a higher-end business, you might want a better quality uh, set of shields. And this is where uh, PlexiCraft quality comes in. Now, this business is owned by Hans Kretschmann, who's owned it for about four years. Mm -hmm. He's a former investment and commercial banker who bought the business four years ago. And uh, things were okay. They were limping along. Now they're doing quite well yes timing and, is everything you know, museums have contacted them uh there's a bank uh, in the bronx area who you know wanted consistent high quality um dependable well-crafted uh barriers up. Yeah, right. and uh this bank it's a little bank ponzi bank ended up sending uh, making a sixteen thousand dollar order mm-hmm. okay so that's uh no small potatoes. It's a lot of plexiglass. Right. Yeah. And then they have an example of a dermatologist. Okay? Mm-hmm. A dermatologist trying to, you know, have a good look. Right. All right. High end and sleek. And again, uh, went to these people. Uh, they what, what they're saying, we're doing well. We're doing fine. We've been able to hire back all of our people. Um, if people start going back to work in the offices... Then business will start going crazy. Yeah. Well, and you know something? They will. Uh, the question is when. But, uh, well, that's good. I'm glad someone's doing well. 
Um, actually, a lot of businesses are kind of doing well, but of course, many more are not. Um, well, but speaking of business, the business of baseball. The Mets hired a new uh, general manager. I know we're all focused on that, above all else, a fellow named Jared Porter. And uh, here's the thing about that. Um, it's uh, he seems like an interesting hire. He's not a big fancy name. There are you know like there are big names like Theo Epstein out there. Where the Mets going to make a big splash? They didn't. This is an under the radar guy. But a friend of mine sent me a piece that was written by Bill James. Bill James, the famous sabermetrics guy, the guy who almost invented the sort of uh, uh, computer oriented way to look at baseball. The uh, mathletes. The, the mathletes baseball, baseball fan. Yeah. The mathletes guide to baseball years and years yeah. ago with a slide rule. And uh, he uh, became, over the last few years, a consultant for the Boston Red Sox. Everybody uses sabermetrics now. But he is kind of a, an iconoclastic guy. He's a very kind of individualistic, uh, not an organization man. But uh, he did write a piece in praise of Jared Porter, who he said is really a genius at what he calls uh, beneath-the-surface uh, scouting and development. And he tells a story in this article about when uh, Bill James was with the Red Sox, the great Theo Epstein was the uh, general manager or the president of the organization then. They wanted to trade Andrew Miller, who was a highly desirable relief pitcher because they were not in the hunt. They got an inquiry from the uh, Baltimore Orioles at 3.37. Why is that important? The trade deadline was 4 o'clock. And the uh, Orioles offered two pitchers uh, for him, two minor league pitchers who had pretty good stats. And they had 20 minutes to make a decision. And everyone in the room, and there were like eight scouts and executives in the room, they're ready to jump on that. We like these pitchers. They have good numbers, good ERAs. And Jared Porter raises his hand and says, no. Jared Porter is the director of scouting for the Red Sox. He says, those guys, they're pretty good. They're, you know, AAA. They're, uh, you know, they, they look good on the surface. The guy we want is at a level below that. He has terrible numbers, but I've seen him pitch. And he identifies a different guy. And everybody looks at him like he's out of his mind. He shows them a video. They take the guy that Porter recommends, and, he be, and his name is Eduardo Rodriguez, who becomes a very important pitcher for the Red Sox. Why? Because Jared Porter is a scout who knows everybody, every talent, at every level, instantly. And that's the kind of guy who you want running your organization. And, and James makes a— Why wouldn't everybody want him? How they everybody get would. Him? Every, I don't know. I, well, I'm sure they're paying him quite a bit of money. But uh, he did, he well, for whatever reason, he hasn't risen to the top of an organization the way he got a promotion to be uh, in, the, in the Mets organization. What's interesting to me about this article by James is he mentions all the things that you rely on for a general manager that you and I would never think about. He said it's about hiring. His job includes hiring the right coaches. That means coaches who will drive six hours to see a person play, who can evaluate that kind of talent. It's building friendships with college coaches so that they will tell you the truth about the college players. It's making sure you have a state-of-the-art facility in the Dominican Republic where there's a lot of talent. It's making sure you have minor league coaches and managers who can teach 19-year-old third baseman how to throw the ball to first base. It's having an equipment manager who knows how to find four batting cages on a moment's notice, making sure the same guy is not selling drugs to the kids on the side. It's, uh, again and again, all kinds of details and things throughout the minor leagues. According to James, this guy is fantastic. He'll build up the organization. There's a lot to look forward to. It's not the big, splashy signings this year. It's building the organization from within for the future. Good news. Got it. Okay. You seem moved. Huh. Yeah. <laughs>
Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of football mode. Well, let, let me just say, I'll know, give you one uh, final uh, quote from, from James on Jared Porter. He said, Lay quote, it on me. He's the opposite of an agent. He's all go and no show. Got it. Okay. The opposite of Brody Von Wagner. Go ahead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Shots fired. Yes. Anyway, I saw a, a fun article in the New York Times style section, in the vows, the wedding section, yes. the meat sheet yeah. area. Um, and uh, it was about proxy weddings. The title of this article is, At These Weddings, No Brides or Grooms Are Allowed. Well, I mean, generally proxy weddings, brides and grooms are not necessary, okay, because you have a proxy. But uh, in this case, I guess in some cases now, um, you don't want brides or grooms around because I guess they're infected or, or whatever like that. For whatever reason, proxy weddings are back. Doesn't make any sense. They're how can you moment, get married? Just like not... plexiglass. How, how can... <laughs> First of all, plexiglass looks like a solution to me. To, so you don't need to do a proxy wedding. But, but beyond no, that, no, no, no. It, why it, get well, married if you can't even be together? I don't, I don't quite get this. Well, because in one case, it's a military couple. Uh-huh. And he's about to get orders. Right. And it's, if he gets orders as a single person... Okay, they may be apart, all right, all you right. know, for years, okay. for years and years and years. Right. And this way, if they're married, you know, he will get the special, you know, couple kind of arrangement. All right. right. So yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, so who arranges these proxy weddings? Well, it's complicated because in this case, they needed a double proxy. Okay, because neither person could be on site. Okay, for the wedding. And not every state um, allows uh, proxy weddings. Good. In fact, they got married. Um, double proxy marriages have been legal in Montana since the 1860s when young men went to the territory looking for mining and riches. The law allowed the miners to marry their out-of-state fiancés. Okay. Um, so there's there are a couple businesses in Montana... Um, one run by Chris and April Cohen, C-O-E-N, and they are doing a land office business, okay? Usually they do a few hundred um, mm-hmm. proxy weddings for whatever reasons a year. This year they're going to do about 2,500, okay? And, and there's another uh, business. Um, also, you know, this one is called the Armed Forces Proxy Marriage. Uh, business run uh-huh. by Tom Kennedy, and same thing. His business is up, but it's, but it's because of COVID, or because people can't travel, or won't travel, or what? Be, it, all of the above, really. Because people can't travel, because people can't travel with COVID, because the army has instigated you cannot travel more than three hundred and fifty miles from your base. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, because of COVID, mm-hmm. and so that if the if it you know. If the timing is such that they need to be married, yeah. um, and they're two thousand miles apart, yeah. So, but just explain this to me. Proxy wedding. I mean, someone stands in for the groom. Someone yes. stands in, this in for case, the bride. Chris and April Cohen. Yeah. And there's a picture of them. Yeah. They have stood in for thousands of people. Oh my god! All right, and they sign the papers. And they okay. say the vows. And you, you have things you need to fill out, and yeah. you get them notarized, yeah. etc. And then you send them to Chris and April. And uh, they put on the wedding, and they they have various uh, officiants, um, 
In this case, it, uh, one they write about is Maldonado. Mr. Maldonado, a universal life minister, yeah. says he signed 310 licenses uh, in July alone. But, but, but I'm looking at this picture. Do they say vows to each other, the uh, the proxies? Do they, do they no, talk? I don't think they say anything romantic. I think they just do all the paperwork. All right. Okay. And then they, the beginning of the article has, you know, somebody calling up someone, calling up his wife. Um, she's deployed in San Diego. Okay. Yeah. And uh, she gets a call. She's sitting at a bar. She gets a call that now she's married from her fiance. What happened to Zoom winnings? What, what about Zoom winnings? Can we do that? that uh, apparently that um, the Zoom marriage is not always recognized by the military. Oh, my God. And also, <laughs> you could, there, also there are such things as single proxy marriages. Yeah. Um, but only California, Texas, and Colorado uh, accept those. All right. So, uh, so it's interesting. I mean, proxy weddings go way, way, way back. Yeah. You know, my, one of my favorite proxy weddings was that of Marie de Medici. Yeah. Who, uh, Marie, you know, of the Medici family in Florence, <laughs> lots of money. Right. Who um, was supposed to marry Henry the Fourth of <laughs> France. Needed money. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, he was not leaving France. He was busy. You know, he was, uh, you know, involved in warfare and other things like that. She was not leaving Italy mm. until she had, okay, the marriage license in hand. Uh-huh. She's not going all the way to France with all her buckos mm. um, uh, without, you know, um, Being a married. sure thing. Yeah. Yes, that is sure thing. Yeah. So she was married by proxy and then shipped out really to uh, France. Okay. But, uh, it's good you know, enough for the Medici. You know, it's good I, enough I mean, for me. Well, you, you know, when you have these arranged weddings, you may want some confidence that uh, it's really happening. Okay. All right. So just a couple things in terms of television slash film. We just finished uh, Patriot. I think we may have mentioned Patriot before, but we, we, had, we went through two seasons. And it takes us about two seasons worth of time to go through two seasons. We're not real great in the way of binge watching. That's not the kind of thing we do. But uh, it's worth noting because it was really good. I mean, uh, sometimes you don't know until the very end whether it was worth it. And Patriot was uh, worth it. Patriot is a series. It's kind of the timing is odd. First season was 2015. Second season was 2017. Uh, you mean the setting? No. The oh, actual you mean when event, it was made? When it was released, oh, okay. yeah. And uh, it's Stephen Conrad is the auteur. He's the fellow who wrote it and directed it. It's all his vision. It stars a fellow named Michael uh, Dornan, who's from uh, New Zealand, uh, Terry O'Quinn, uh, a few others. Dornan's playing um, a secret agent, effectively a CIA or a U.S. Uh, spy, if you will. But mainly it's just crazy. Uh, it is crazy, but you're saying that, but you like the two. I mean, it, it's it's an excellent... It's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's and bizarre. It, it's almost... It's, it's it, only occasionally really gross. Oh, yes, it is that once in a while. But it is really good. It's really engaging. It is totally original. I think you're right when you call it bizarre. It, that's why it's so hard yeah. to describe. Aside from, you know, some amputations, yeah, it's, it, it's fairly family-friendly. Let, let's not focus on the, the language. That's just a small part. It's two seasons worth of material. The music is pretty interesting, and it's so engaging and brought in that even I recall both you and I thought that the music for the second season was really good. And it turns out it's uh, it's something called Sure Shot by the Beastie Boys. Now, if you were to ask you mean me, the intro, 
Yeah. Yeah. If you were to ask me, you know, am I a Beastie Boys fan? I would. Wouldn't. You are now. I am you now. You are now. Yeah. I, so that doesn't make sense either. But the whole thing, it's worth a look. Uh, and it's and you have to stay with it a little bit. But it draws you in. Uh, so we recommend that. And and you had... Uh, yeah, there's violence, there's drugs, there's... Right. But it's... Uh, but it's somehow... It works. It works. Yeah. Well, it's very human at the same it's time. Very, it is human. Yeah. It's, total, it's totally human. And it's, there's uh, tooth extraction. You keep focusing on the, the, the stuff that, that's, that makes it off-putting. It's not off I don't off-putting. want people to go see it and yeah. then yeah, but, but a lot uh, of be upset. Yeah. Okay. And then, I want them to be braced. They say, this is weird, but it's weird in a good way. But it's also very... Ultimately It's always a small good. part of it. It's a small part of it. It's, it's, it's really very human and it's very good. Uh, I know you were looking at something else about uh, something Celtic, if you will, if I can pronounce that correctly. Well, uh, a few years ago, I saw an animated film called Secret of Kells. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have, I used to, uh, before I retired, show trailers of this animated film mm-hmm. to my classes because you know it had it sort of refers to the famous book of Kells, the illuminated manuscript, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it uh, the animation itself was marvelous mm-hmm. and didn't slavishly reproduce the artwork in the book of Kells, but uh, captured the spirit of it in a wonderful way, and it was just a charming mm-hmm. um, movie. And it w- it got an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it did not win the Oscar, but it really uh, put Cartoon Saloon on the map. Uh, this animation studio started by Tommy Moore, Paul Young, and Nora uh, Toomey. And uh, young Irish animators who uh, you know started this business. And, and, and it's been kind of up and down. It's been kind of a, a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they are now on the third part of the trilogy started by The Secret of Kells. They all love uh, Celtic mythology. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, just uh, stories, etc. You know, from Irish culture. And so there's The Secret of Kells. Then... A few years later was the Song of the Sea, which was about selkies. Selkies are seals mm-hmm. that can shape shift and turn into people. Ah, yeah, of, okay. course. of course. All right. This is this shape shifting thing has a name called therianthropy. All right. How do you like that? It's fantastic. It also got an Oscar nomination. Yeah. I haven't seen that though. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, but number three that's uh, come out now is Wolf Walkers. Right. Also, the people who can change into wolves, you know, a shape-shifting theme as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a feeling it's a fantastic animation. I did look on uh, the Rotten Tomatoes, and it's, of course, getting 100%. Oh, really? Uh, but it's only got like 42 reviews. Well, there's a little so. self-selection there, right? Yes, yes. Um, so it's interesting. The, the, the first, the Secret of Kells was all hand-drawn on paper animation. Uh, now they've graduated to more streamlined drawing on digital devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's an interesting uh, group, and uh, they're working hard. The key to the success of, of Secret and Kells, of Kells... And perhaps uh, wolf walkers 
though, really goes to their distribution. And there, there's a company called G-Kids that uh, distributes animated films in the U.S. That that's what really uh, brought them uh, to everybody's notice. Mm-hmm. Because back home, uh, Secret of Kells, not such a success. Europe, not such a success. U.S., big success. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. All right. So we wanted to uh, wind up uh, going back to the uh, Christmas theme. There happened to be an extremely interesting article in uh, Columbia University magazine about the fellow who wrote or co-wrote Santa Baby. Right. Santa Baby, one of our favorite Perennial favorite. Of Christmas music. Uh, and uh, the, this writer is a fellow named Phil Springer who uh, had had some success in the early 1950s. And by the way, he had some success throughout a long, long career after that. Uh, not a lot of songs that you'd remember. Not, a, frankly, a single song I ever heard of. And yet, as described in the article, some success. And he worked with some well, fairly well-known folks. He had some real staying power. He was yeah. not one and done. No. He okay? But and you know what that comes down to? What? He says it's his education. He was so well musically educated yeah. that as musical styles changed mm-hmm. in pop music, mm-hmm. he could adjust. Right. He, he could go with it. He studied at Columbia and NYU. Well, Okay? Yes. Where he, both places, he made various great connections. But uh, he was part of that Brill... Brill building uh, building group. Well, that was... But a lot of those people spin out as soon as the style they write in right. is gone. Boom, they're right. gone. And he chugged along a real, you know. Well, of course, you know, you saw the Carol King musical, and that took place a lot right. at the Brill building. But right. but he's there before. So and and consistent with what you're saying, so the kind of music they were writing before Carol King was quite different from what it became in the '60s and '70s when folks like Carol King got involved. It was less rock music. It was more Sinatra-type music. But education was the key. Well, listen. uh, And you know what? 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 His father went to Columbia. Can I stop you for a second? His father went to Columbia Law School. Is that right? So you get the feeling. He could have gone to the Brill Building and just said, okay, boom, fine. All right? Because he was a prodigy at a very young age. Yeah. Right? But um, I have a feeling Daddy-O kind of utzed him. Yeah. into upping his game. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. It is an article in Columbia Magazine. So the Columbia theme, while I understand it's prominent, uh, they're pushing that a little bit. But okay, okay, we'll, we'll go with that. My point is that, so he's an up-and-coming songwriter. Right. And um, He's had hits. And, uh, well, yes, he got one as big as number four. And he, uh, 1953, he finds himself... Uh, talking to RCA Victor, the folks who run the RCA Victor recording uh, aspect, and they tell him they want him to write a Christmas song for Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt was, uh, how shall we describe her? A A sex sex kitten. kitten. Hey, you and I see it the same way. A prominent sex kitten in the early 50s. She was in something called like New Stars of 1952. She made... Uh, great impression sing a uh, quite sexy song called C'est C'est Bon, if I get that right. C'est C'est Bon. So C'est C'est Bon, excuse me. And uh, she c'est was a sex... Go ahead, I'm not stopping you. You're right, go. In any event, but he was puzzled because he said to himself, how am I going to do this? Well, well, let's say he had already joined up. He had already approached Joan Javis. Yeah, that's right. He approached a woman named Joan Javis because he decided that that's a person who he thought 
would make a the, that he uh, could write with. Yeah, yeah an effective team with him. The lyrics with him and, writing. And the she music. worked at, at the Bro Building. And she demurred. She said, "No, she why said, should I'm I write busy. with you? I'm, <laughs> I'm busy." Yeah. And uh, he said, "You're too busy." He said, uh, "Have you had a number one?" And she said, "No." He said, "Well, I have." Yeah. And you're too busy. He said, and she said, "Well, what are you doing tonight?" And there you and go. And he said, "I'm writing with you." So there you go. So there were a team by then. And maybe that's what prompted the call by RCA Victor. So when he said to RCA Victor, um, you want a song, you obviously want a sexy song for Eartha Kitt because it's Eartha Kitt. You want it about Christmas. That seems to me a little bit challenging. Icky, weird. And they said, don't worry about it. Just write the music. Joan will take care of the rest of it. And uh, she did. Uh, He talked about how they came up with it. And he said, you know, people always ask him, is it what comes first, the words or the music? And he says, the answer is neither. The answer is the title. And somehow we came up, probably Joan came up with the title, Santa Baby. And uh, he immediately put some notes to Santa Baby. Would you like to sing a bar of Santa Baby? No. Okay. Thank you. And uh, Perhaps you would? No. Well, Santa Baby. There you go. <laughs> Sounds good, huh? Sounds great. And, uh, uh, he said the rest they were able to put together fairly quickly and... Uh, Sure enough, Eartha Kitt recorded, and it became a huge, huge hit. Not easily the biggest hit he was associated with. He's still raking in the bucks from it. Yeah, he's still making money on it. And it might have been the biggest hit, uh, at least as we remember her today, that Eartha Kitt, the biggest single she had. And of course, well, well I shouldn't say of course. What's interesting is that uh, Eartha Kitt passed away at the age of 81 on Christmas Day. So uh, there you have it. So that's uh, that's the story of Santa Baby. Uh, and uh, if you get a chance, who, who knew? Dial that up. But we a lot of people recorded it now. Um, yeah, even even Michael Bublé. Even my well, that's kind of a lame version. But the uh, <laughs> but Madonna recorded. Oh, there, Madonna, oh I can't stand uh, that. Yeah, Eartha Kid is the best. Yeah, well, that's what we we're going to tell you. There, there, over the last five or ten years, there have been about six or seven recordings of it after it was dormant for a while. Get yourself the Eartha Kit recording. It stands alone. Uh, and uh, so that's what we have today. Uh, have a Merry Christmas. Uh, and we'll, we'll be back again. We'll be back again <laughs> shortly after Christmas to uh, tell you what's what. Until then, this is uh, Dan Abuha. And Tamson Granger. For Tamson and Dan, read the paper. See you. Boom, 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 boom. baby just slip a sable under the tree for me been an awful good girl santa baby so hurry down the chimney tonight santa baby a 54 convertible to light blue I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Think of all the fun I've missed Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed Next year I could be 
just as good if you check off my Christmas list. Santa baby, I want a yacht and really that's not a lot. Been an angel all year, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa honey, one little thing I really need the deed to a platinum mine, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa cutie, and fill my stocking with a duplex and checks. Sign your ex on the line, Santa cutie, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Come and trim my Christmas tree with some decorations bought at Tiffany. I really do believe in you. Believe in me Santa baby Forgot to mention One little thing A ring I don't mean on the phone Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Hurry down the chimney tonight Harry, tonight...